epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith here in Atlanta. My man John Schumann in New Jersey. John Hartzell, our producer behind the glass. Busy, busy holiday weekend is in the book shoe. Two buzzer beaters in eight days now for Jimmy Butler. That move to Philly is looking better and better. The Los Angeles Clippers continue to roll. Big win over the Portland Trailblazers. And the, the Clippers heading into the Christmas holiday. And I, and I know that Heading into Christmas means every moment between now and Christmas Day. The Clippers are tied for first in the West Shoe. Do you have any idea that we would look up at this portion of the season a quarter of a way in, basically? And not only the Clippers would be in that position, but there's just four and a half games separating the first and 14th teams in the West. It's crazy. It's not only the Clippers that are probably overachieving in, in the sort of consensus mind based on you know what we expected at the beginning of the season, but... You know, teams like Dallas running off six out of seven, you know, Memphis continuing to, to win games and Sacramento con- continuing to hang in. You know, we talked last week about last week would be a big game, a big week for, for the Kings. They went two and two against a tough schedule. So it's amazing. You know, Utah, my pick to finish second in the Western Conference is that 14th place team, but they're only a game out of eighth. So, <laughs> you know, usually at this time of year, we can look at the standings and have a pretty good idea of what things are going to be like at the end of the season. Because on average, about 14 of the 16 teams that make the playoffs are in playoff position at the quarter point of the season. And on Wednesday, we're going to hit the quarter point where we've played 308 out of 1,230 games. And so, like I said, on average, Seven teams in each conference are in playoff position already at that point in the season. So like last year, Miami was the only Eastern Conference team that made the playoffs that wasn't in the top eight at the quarter point. Um, and they were only a game game out of eighth. And in the West, Oklahoma City was the only team that eventually made the playoffs but wasn't in top eight at this point of the season. And they were just a, a, like a game and a half out. But in this Western Conference right now, I'm – I'm, I don't know what to think. Um, I think the teams that are four or five games over 500 should be feeling pretty good about themselves. But when we look at the teams that are 500 and below, we see New Orleans, we see Houston, we see um, San Antonio, we see Minnesota, we see Utah, teams that could certainly play better than they have so far. Who's the most surprising team to you in terms of the ones who are below that line right now? That's a good question. Um, Utah, obviously. Um, Utah, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about them plenty. Minnesota is not a surprise given their um, chemistry issues of the first month and a half or whatever it was. But since the Jimmy Butler 
trade, they rank second defensively. And I think for the first time ever, we can say that the, the Tom Thibodeau's Timberwolves rank higher defensively than they do offensively. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so they are playing better. San Antonio, I, I you know what? I, I can't say I'm too surprised. You know, like we probably we we could probably say we weren't we're not surprised no matter what the Spurs the Spurs could be uh, <laughs> you know like 14 and five right now and we could say ah we're not surprised the Spurs always win or or you know at, at nine and ten we can say we're not surprised because things didn't look so good at the beginning of the season considering their injuries and the, the loss of, of some key defenders so I'm not too surprised by Spurs I think Dallas at nine and nine is my sort of my favorite story of the last couple of weeks they've won mm-hmm. six of their last seven they've won their last six games that super sub uh, JJ Berea has played and they've been much better with Berea on the floor um, for the second straight year their starting lineup kind of stinks yeah. Um, even with Luka Doncic and DeAndre Jordan joining that group this year. But their bench has been terrific, and Berea is leading the way in that regard. They've got a big week this week. If, you know, Like I said, they've won five of their, their last six, and then they've got – they're sort of my, my team to watch this week because they play uh, – pull it up for here for a second. The latest edition of the NBA Power Rankings are live now on NBA.com, by the way. John Schumann offers them every week. We discuss them every Monday here on the podcast. Mavs visit Houston. And then they visit LA to play the Lakers, and then they're back at home against the Clippers on Sunday. So three big games. If this sort of six and one stretch is for real, and they're a team that can put itself in playoff contention, right? Top five in the power rankings this week: the Milwaukee Bucks, the Clippers, the Raptors, the Nuggets, and the Thunder. I, I noticed the Clippers are tied atop the West shoe with the Golden State Warriors. You don't have the Warriors in your top five. Is that? <laughs> Is that punishment for their recent tailspin or something else? I mean, why would they not be in the top five if the other team they're tied with is is right they, up there? They could be fifth, but they got their butts kicked by the, the Thunder. So that's why the Thunder are, <laughs> are uh, this past week. So that's why the Thunder are uh, one spot ahead. If it wasn't for that specific result, yeah, I'd probably have the Warriors fifth. They finally found some offense. You know, they had that awful game against the Thunder on Wednesday, but then came out of Thanksgiving and, and had a big win against Portland um, and then held on to beat the Kings. So they found some offense. Kevin and Durant, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson were terrific over the weekend. But yeah. um, like I said, that loss to Oklahoma City is keeping them out of the top five right now. We mentioned the, the quarter mark of the season shoe, and then you look at a team like the New York Knicks. You know, they beat the Celtics, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies during the three-in-one week. Should we be putting more stock into what we're seeing right now than than we have? I mean, I don't want to – I mean, nobody's going to confuse the Knicks with some team that's making a big turnaround and getting ready to contend. I mean, they, you have a good week here and there. You have bad weeks. The ebb and flow of the season is going to be what it is. But when do we stop dropping our jaw at some of these, you know, wins that seem like shockers? <laughs> I don't know. The the, the, the the Knicks had a great week. I don't know if I can believe in them uh, long-term. But I, I do like the sort of offensive freedom that David Fisdale has given these guys. And they have guys that can get buckets like Tim Hardaway who's having a strong season Alonzo Trier guy on a two-way contract who's not going to be on a two-way contract for for very much longer I think yeah so they've been terrific offensively over the last six games you know that was the end of a six-game losing streak and then the a three-game winning streak like you mentioned and over those six games five different guys on that team have scored at least 21 points in a game and Noah Vonley who's not one of those five has had three of the seven highest scoring games of his career. 
so I mean, I, I like they're they're still bad defensively, and you know they 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 they, they benefited from uh, Anthony Davis injury the other night against New Orleans. I'm sure there was some extra adrenaline with Fisdale in Memphis playing, yeah, playing on Sunday. Team. But hey, you know what? They're they've been kind of fun to watch, and Moutier, Emmanuel Moutier, I think has been sort of a, a little bit of a revelation. I mean, he was yeah. he's he's kind of been a disaster through the first three years of his career, but he's been terrific. The uh, Knicks offense has been at its best with him on the floor, and he's seen a huge jump. He's seen one of the league's biggest jumps in effective field goal percentage this season. So he's been he's been he's been great, and that's been a big uh, a big surprise for them. I'm, I'm having a hard time right now this season, shoe making solid evaluations of some of these young players because their their performances have been so up and down. I I think of a kid like Colin Sexton, who was getting anonymous you know quotes from veteran teammates of his in Cleveland saying he doesn't know how to play or didn't you know, and now he's been playing much better as of late for whatever that's worth. He's been really good. He's he shoots. He's been shooting really well off the dribble. He's been scoring very well, but. He's averaging, he's still averaging 2.4 assists per game. So like in his last, he's got 20 plus in, in four of his last eight or four of his last seven, actually, mm-hmm. but no more than four assists in any of those games. Right. So, and the Cavs have won two straight, their two best offensive games of the season, winning in Philly on Friday and then, and then beating the, the Rockets on Saturday. So two great offensive games uh, with, with uh, Sexton, scoring 23 and 29 but like there's been like no assists in those games. but 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 he's playing to what his <laughs> i guess coming in he's not a yeah he's not a great facilitator he's not a guy who's going to get 15 18 assists like a trey young would based on the way he plays sexton's game is is being an offensive you know machine not even a, a shooter so much as just a guy who can get to the basket and create offense for himself yes. Yeah, so I'd be curious when George Hill returns, uh, yeah. if they play them together, you know, start them together so that Hill is more of a facilitator. Other guys can get involved, you know, because it's, right now it's kind of like Sex, uh, Sexton and Jordan Clarkson taking turns and, and then Tristan Thompson giving them second upon a ton, a ton of second chances with a ton of offensive rebounds. So Yeah, do, do you find yourself, shoot at this time of the year looking at players and teams and, and asking yourself – What's sustainable for for this team? Like I look at Orlando, which has started better than I would have expected or better than a lot of people suspected they would given the makeup of that team. And I'm wondering how sustainable is it for them to continue to play 500 ball as a team? You know, do they have do they have pieces in the right places to continue to play that way? Or do we look up a month from now and realize that was, you know, that was them at their best or or best possible scenario with schedule and everything else built in? And now comes the reality, you know, that they're, they're going to be a sub-500 group. Or, or maybe they shock us. I don't know. It's funny you bring up Orlando with that because last year they had a great start to the season. Uh, yes. They were shooting ridiculously well from three-point range with Aaron Gordon, I think, leading the league after the first couple of weeks in three-point percentage. But you know what? I, I think they do have the pieces of a good team. I think they are one of those teams that needs a point guard upgrade. But DJ Augustine has been solid. I mean, he keeps his tur- his turnovers are really low. And then Nikola Vucevic has been great. He's scored like 20-plus in, 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 in a bunch of the last few games. Had a huge game against the Lakers on Sunday. 
And so, you know, they have the pieces and they have a solid starting lineup. I like, even though Wes Sawandu doesn't do much offensively, I like that line, that starting lineup that they have now better than the one they started with where Jonathan Isaac was in the lineup because it has Aaron Gordon at the four. And I think that's better for him um, and better for their spacing overall. Um, and then they have, you know, they have Terrence Ross who's been playing terrific, you know, uh, off the bench, uh, Jonathan Simmons, Isaac and Bamba off the bench. So they have the pieces, especially in the East, you know, you can get by with what they have. Um, I'd be curious to see if they seek, uh, you know, a, a point guard in the next month or two mm-hmm. to really go after ending this playoff drought that they've had since they traded Dwight Howard. But yeah, I, I mean, we got They're just a team that we just got to keep an eye on, continue to keep an eye on because, you know, they could, they could look great one night and, and, and terrible the next. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the cutoff line, you know, and as much as we stare at standings and crunch numbers this time of year, the only thing that matters to me, Shu, is the top eight. You know, daily you look and see who's above it, who's below it, and then start asking yourself why. You know what I mean? And in the East, I'm not shocked at the, at the eight teams above that mark right now. Charlotte, Boston, Orlando <clears throat> is the only, you know, outlier really. Right, uh, Detroit, Philly, Milwaukee. I mean, those are those are teams. If you told me twenty games into the season, these are going to be the the eight teams above the mark. At least I wouldn't be. I wouldn't go. Oh, ridiculous! You know, I wouldn't have said you're crazy. Right, and then you just but you just have Washington and Miami that are that. Well, they could have been either. But to me, they could have gone either way. Right, right, but in their minds, I'm sure they they're thinking, you know, we should be in Orlando spot, you know? Well, in, in Washington's mind, they should be in Toronto spot, <laughs> but we, we know what, what's in their mind and what, what actually happens doesn't always correlate. Miami, I'll just say Miami's been a real disappointment because they've actually, they're actually going through like the easiest stretch of their schedule. Their, their first half of schedule is much easier than their second half of schedule. And for them to be seven and two, they're banged up, you know, drag it. Yes, they got injuries. Yes. Games. But they're still disappointing in, at, at, at 7 and 12. I'm going to keep harping on this two-shoe. And, and this guy, he's had a couple monster games early in the season. And he's, he's doing the post-game interview. And he's saying all the right things. And I'm going, all right, maybe Whiteside has finally turned the corner. And then he just doesn't consistently play at a higher level. You know, I don't understand. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and psychoanalyze why it doesn't happen either. He just – his profile, his attributes, his talents – don't match up with the results that we see from him. He should be a much better player, a much more impactful player than he's been. And I don't know why he can't seem to get it straight. I don't, I don't know why. And I'm, and I'm almost to the point, Shu, where I don't care anymore. Like, where I'm not going to continue to expect more from him than he's given. At what point, at what point do we cut bait with, with a guy like Whiteside? I mean, I just hope he's not, like, him being there isn't holding back a guy like Bam Adebayo, who we see, you know, a ton of potential in. And um, he had a terrific game over the weekend, too. You know, Whiteside and his contract, you know, the Heat, heat are kind of beholden to to playing him. And they're going to get, you know, a 2020 game every, you know, every, every few weeks. And he's going to look terrific at times, but the consistency isn't there. And like I said, I, I just hope, you know, because they have Adebayo, they have Olenek who can play, you know, second unit five, and really space the floor for them. I just, yeah, I, 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 I kind of wish that, yeah, he wasn't there in the way of Adebayo, who, especially with them sort of having a disappointing season, I'd love to see really get a, a, a chance to, to not only play more, but also just touch the ball more. 
Yeah. In the West, shoot, there are teams. Memphis certainly is a surprise, you know, being the top four. I don't know that there's another team that's a legitimate surprise among the first eight. I'll tell you who is a is a surprise and a pleasant surprise to me, even though they're not above that line is Sacramento. You know, having the same record as the Pelicans 20 games in, I would have never guessed that we'd be talking about the Kings. Is it just the the fact that you have enough young talent now and enough time for Dave Yeager to, you know, to kind of figure out which pieces go where? Or is this a trend for them, you know, a turning of the corner, if you will, of this group in Sacramento that's going to allow them not necessarily get in the playoffs, but just to at least be in that conversation at, at 9, 10, 11 in the West as opposed to being dead last? I definitely think they have taken a real step forward, one that's that we're not going to look, you know, two months from now, look back on and say, oh, that was fake or that wasn't that what we saw was just a mirage. Because you see the play in in De'Aaron Fox and how good he has become. You see Willie Cauley-Stein. I, I, watched, I watched their game at Utah on Wednesday mm-hmm. last week, and they looked fantastic. I mean, Fox was pushing – he pushes the ball after makes. He got – early in the game, he pushed the ball, got a dunk for Marvin Bagley after a make. And then there was that highlight of him in the second half just going coast-to-coast coast after another make – and just going straight through the the Utah defense and dunking on Rudy Gobert, basically. And then Cauley Stein in that game looked like a, an all-star. He can fly. I mean, he can get him down the I floor. Mean, he, yeah, he, yeah he's, he's been – he came in as a, as a with a defensive rep, right? And I yes. think he's been solid on that end. But I think offensively he's been really good at rolling to the rim, catching, and finishing. Like, I feel like he has been – you know, I haven't looked at his numbers, his sort of shooting numbers in the, in, in the restricted area or in the paint. Um, but I feel like there's been a dozen plays this year where I've been like, wow, I didn't realize he could do that in, in regards to just being able to catch, whether it be catch at the foul line, take one dribble and score, or just catch on a roll um, and be able to finish through traffic. He's looked really good. And they almost beat Golden. They almost won at Golden State on Saturday. Uh, it was only Clay Thompson's putback, basically. If they just grabbed one more defensive rebound, they would have beat the Warriors. But then on Sunday, they looked, they did not look good against the Jazz. Playing the same team they played a few days earlier, earlier, they were not good, especially defensively. So I guess that's what comes with a young team like that. You're gonna, uh, there's going to be maybe two steps forward, one step back. Sure, sure. But for them to be 10 and 10 at this point, I think is a testament to their player development, a testament to those players just getting better. Buddy Heald, of course, is better. And and a testament to Dave Yeager, the job that he's doing. So I continue to love to watch them play because of how fast they play because of Fox's sort of relentlessness and, and pushing yeah, the ball. And, and even if they, if, if you know, it, w- it can be a successful season, even if their playoff drought. Uh, continues right I mean yeah they end up 500 think about it if they end up having a 500 season it's, it's not going to get them in the playoffs most likely in the west but it would be a huge statement for the Kings to yeah. have traveled that far from where they've been shoot I, I want to get your opinion on something and I I know the MVP conversation is something <laughs> I probably spend an inordinate amount of time on you know from the start of the season to the end probably foolishly early on, but do you think that, and this is my theory, do you think that Jimmy Butler's arrival in Philly does more for Joel Embiid's MVP situation 
than it does even for Jimmy Butler. And, and bear bear with me on this. They're gonna the, the Sixers were gonna be a, a team that we assumed would be good anyway this year. You know, we figured that they would be a top team in the East, which obviously they're still working on that. Embiid was somebody that I was expecting to put up monster numbers, you know, and he's done that. They're in the third spot in the East right now. They have a closer, quote unquote closer now for sure, in Jimmy Butler, a guy who's willing and able to take and make big shots with games on the line. You don't have to worry about the ball being in Ben Simmons' hands in those situations. Now, getting it to Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler can can facilitate that for himself. Therefore, Joel Embiid's 30 and 15 or, what you know, 27 and... You want the numbers? You want the numbers he's averaging? That's what I'm saying. His numbers are going are gonna to be MVP worthy night in and night out. Right now, he's at 28, 13, 28 points, 13 rebounds, three and a half assists, and two blocks. Yes. He's, he's third on the Kia Racing MVP ladder, which came off last Friday. And he will be in that neighborhood probably if he continues on the, you know, on the same bent that he's on. I just think Butler takes a certain amount of pre, you know, late-game crunch time pressure off of that entire team, but he also lifts – the, the performance of a guy like Embiid who's going to be that rock night after night with the numbers he puts up. Even if Butler doesn't have a great shooting night, he can still be a guy that takes that shot at crunch time. But the real beneficiary to me is Joel Embiid because now you maybe focus more on the fact that he's the consistent monster that I was talking about Hassan Whiteside not being. You know, somebody that night after night, his numbers are always going to stack up, whether he's the the hero and making that last set, you know, doing what Jimmy Butler does or not. That Embiid's performance, to me, shines even brighter when you have somebody else to to take some of that crunch time responsibility off of the shoulders of both he and Ben Simmons. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's kind of the the way I was looking at it as I was, you know, putting together the MVP ladder last week. I mean, it does. I mean, and team success plays a big part in MVP voting. I mean, we've talked about how Russell Westbrook was like the first MVP in X amount of years that wasn't on a team that finished in the top two in the conference, I guess. Right. Top two. I think so. So, and if Butler makes the Sixers a better team, uh, then, you know, that obviously helps Embiid. And the great thing about Embiid is that we know he's a two-way player and we know that he makes, he not only puts up huge numbers, but he is a impactful defender and a a defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, I think he finished second or third in defensive player of the year last year. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, In that regard, I, I still have this hang up with Embiid where I feel like he too often catches the ball far away from the basket on the outside. Yeah. And part of that is because he has, and beat on the uh, Ben Simmons on the floor, and, and so right. it's like Jimmy Butler is handing handling the ball. Ben Simmons has to be sort of on the baseline so that he can be. There's a fact, yeah. So what he's going to be check. So a deep defender has to check him rather than if he's on the out at the three point line, the defense can lay stay off of him, and and you know a second defender could come to the ball. And so with him with Simmons on the baseline, so often we see now Embiid. Say he sets a pick for Butler, he pops out rather than rolling to the basket. So and so he's not as efficient. Or his shooting numbers aren't as good as they could be if he was more of an interior big. You know, his right. effective field goal percentage of fifty one percent is below the league average, but he does get to the line a ton. I mean, he's had. I'm looking at his game log now. He's had three games where he's 
gotten to the line at least 20 times. And he shoots mm-hmm. well from the free, he's shooting 81% from the line. And so, yeah, I mean, he all the pieces are there. Um, I think the Sixers have a concern on the defensive end of the floor right now. They've won five of the last six, but their last three games have been their uh, worst defensive three, three game defensive stretch since the start of last season. You know, their defense has taken, uh, you know, we, I mentioned earlier that the Wolves defense has been, is number two in the league since trading Butler. Well, the Sixers defense has taken a step backward since acquiring Butler. And part mm-hmm. of that is because they trade in that trade. trade, trade sh- sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the best defenders in the league and in, in Robert Covington. So yeah. they have to figure things out defensively this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, they barely beat uh, the Nets on Sunday. You know, they had to come back from 20 points down to beat the Nets on Sunday. They lost to the Cavs right. uh, on Friday. So I loved I loved Embiid's line, by the way, in the post game about maybe Tristan Thompson was right. <laughs> <laughs> even even in defeat, Joel Embiid does not lose his troll. His right, trolling, right, uh, and so yeah, and so they while the five and one record over the last six looks great. There's still, you know, there's still some uh, some things for them to get better at, yeah. and I guess we don't want to talk about Mark the Markel. <laughs> I'm not going there right Markel now. <laughs> false situation. I don't even go there because say, I don't know what to. I don't even know what to make of it. I, I, I think I think I mean I was there when they played the Pelicans on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and that was right after the agent said that he, he's not going to play until he gets his shoulder checked out. We're talking now on Monday, and I think he's supposed to get his shoulder checked out today. So. But Brett Brown was asked a few questions about it before the game against the Pelicans, and he was clearly just frustrated and just and blindsided by the yeah. news. Yeah, like yeah, it. and just was like, whatever. It's almost like, uh, you know what? It's it's uh, it's uh, I'm not. I want to talk about it. He basically said, I don't want to talk about it. Anymore. Yeah, he, yeah. He literally said that more than once, both before the game and then he said it after the game because after his pregame press conference, there came that report that. Fultz might have a wrist injury and that he might yeah. want to be on another team. And so I, I think the Sixers probably are at a point now where they're not considering him part of their, at least this season, right? Like we can't, I can't imagine him going from where he is now to being a, someone who, who contributes on, on a playoff in the playoffs. Right. No, I so think, I think that relationship. I, is Yeah. Clearly I think, I think the they've obviously got to sort of move on. Yes. Um, and the great thing is my man Landry Shamit is making them forget. He's <laughs> terrific. This yeah. kid has been great. He's like a mini JJ Reddick coming off their bench. And um, he's been, he's been absolutely, I think he's, he's 16 for 32 from three point range skillset. over the past. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. I mean, and I thought when they started playing him at the beginning of the season, I thought it was kind of like out of desperation just to have another shooter in the rotation. Like, okay, we're going to throw this, you know, I don't know, 20-something pick out here because he's the only, he's the only guy – he's the only backcourt player other than Redick that can actually shoot, right? Because they have Fultz and Simmons and T.J. McConnell. None of those guys can shoot from, from deep. And so I thought, like, Shamit's minutes at the beginning of the season were about sort of desperation, just like, hey, let's – we need somebody else who can space the floor. But he's been really good, um, and he's been critical. He was huge in that in that win on Sunday, and so that helps sort of alleviate the uh, the damage that the Fultz situation has done to their rotation. But I still think you know they're going to keep seeking out uh, yeah. other pieces. As presently constituted, shoe I like the Sixers better right now on November twenty sixth than I did on October twenty sixth. 
And, and it's not just because Jimmy Butler, and I, and I would have never imagined I'd say that if I knew they had to give up Covington and Sharch. You know, I, I, would, I wouldn't assume that I would have evaluated them and said, you know what, I like, I, the reason I like them better right now is the roles are much more defined for all these guys with the addition of Jimmy Butler. And the quality of depth didn't take as big a hit as I thought it would after the trade. I'm looking and going, man, they traded away two guys to me for one, basically, in terms of productive starters that you know what you're going to get out of them. You know what I mean? I didn't think that I would like this team as much as I do. Win or lose, I just like the fact, and, and maybe this is me always looking beyond right now and looking at what it means for post-All-Star and into the playoffs. There's something about knowing what you get from your main people and knowing that you can rely on a certain level of production that I like. And, and I really like that about Philly right now. Because that, that puts them in a position that even if Shamit or somebody else ends up rising up in the playoffs or, or, or playing a bigger role than they're playing right now, you always have that baseline of what Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, even Redick. You know what I'm saying? You know what you're getting from that core group of guys. Anything outside of that is a bonus to me. Yeah, but they, I mean, there's still, I mean, there's still room to be, grow. Uh, there's still going to be a point where there's pressure on, yes. you know, Wilson, guys like Wilson, Wilson Chandler and the, and Mike Muscala basically are the two guys that now with the put departure of those two forwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I like Wilson to, Chandler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I but like he, yeah, but staying healthy has been an issue for him. Yes. Muscala comes and goes, you know, I'm like, not as big a Muscala fan. I, I thought his fit was best when he was playing for Mike Budenholzer yeah. you know, in a system where it highlighted his talents. We'll see if he's able to be as effective as I, as I think they hope he can be in Philly with the team they have constructed. I'm not sure. I'm not wasting my time. We're, we're coming off of Thanksgiving. I'm not wasting my time on the bad things. So we're going to do an autopsy on somebody th- on Thursday's hang time podcast, but I'm not, I'm not getting down in the mud right now talking about the Celtics. I don't want to, I don't want to roll around with all their issues and what they got going on. We'll save that for another day. They, they tumbled 12 spots. In the, in your NBA.com power ranking shoe, that that was that was sort of a a recalibration as much as <laughs> it was what they did last week, right? Like with their win over the Raptors the previous Friday, mm-hmm. that sort of kept them around in the top, uh, you know, seven or eight. And even though they they overall they weren't playing as well, um, and then with their struggles this past week, I sort of recalibrated. Like, oh, they don't even they didn't probably didn't need didn't deserve to be in the top seven or eight last week. But so sometimes there's not only uh, the rankings are not only based on what the team did in the last or movement in the ranking. It's not only based on what the team did in the last seven days, but also sometimes I sort of recalibrate things a little bit after with, with some additional time to uh, marinate on where teams stand. They're the only team in the top eight in the Eastern conference that's playing sub 500 ball in their last 10 games. They're the, only, they're the only ones. Everybody else is playing 500 or better in their last 10. I, again, we'll, we'll, <laughs> I'm going to give them another week or so before I demand an autopsy on, on this Boston Celtics team. Maybe they got some things they still need to work out rotation-wise, obviously. But I don't like what I'm hearing from Brad Stevens. Like, I don't like the tone of what, how he talks about his team. It makes me wonder if he has some of the same doubts and concerns about their constitution that I do just as a group of guys and whether or not they figured out who has to suck it up a little bit here or there for the greater good. I don't know if they've 
figure that out as you know as a team yet. But again, I, I'm 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 reserving the right to to demand an autopsy on the Celtics at a later date. Uh, let's make sure we get that on the record. Be sure check out the full rankings uh, at NBA.com/slash/powerrankings every Monday. John Schumann drops the knowledge and fills you in, gives you a great template for the rest of this week. Obviously, I think I, I, think I got them right this week. I think like this is the week that I got all one through thirty. You know, really, absolutely perfect. Yep, may uh-huh. not have to change them again all season. <laughs> Clipper Drill gives it a seal of approval. By the way, he he enjoyed being uh being in in our conversation last week. But <laughs> uh, by the way, I I looked up on Twitter and he was the first person to to retweet and like <laughs> the, uh, the the podcast link last week. And uh, we we obviously took Thanksgiving off. Like a lot of people, like the NBA, there were no games scheduled on Thanksgiving. So we we gave you a break from the Hang Time podcast last week on Thanksgiving. We will not do that again anytime soon. You are stuck with us. So we'll be back here Thursday with another episode of the Hang Time podcast. We're going to do a deep dive on somebody. We'll let that be a surprise. Maybe we'll tease it a little bit the day before on social media. So be on the lookout. Make sure you subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast for new episodes all season long. And don't forget to leave a review. For John Schumann, our producer John Hartzell, this is Seku Smith. We will see you again next time right here on the Hang Time Podcast. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.